show enough. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on films that are out of date, out of fashion, old, forgotten, or otherwise unremembered. Once again, I'm your host, James Too Hot for YouTube, Eldred. That's a long story. Uh, who do I got back for another episode? It is the Shogun of Duval. <laughs> it's uh, me, T.L. Foster. So, show enough. Show enough. It is T.L. Foster back once again. Back last once time, again. Last time you were here to talk about one of the worst movies ever made. Jim Cotta, and I'm still angry, but Jim Cotta rules. It's like it's not good. I never said it was good, but I know you didn't. Rules. I know you didn't. I know. Hey, I've seen worse films this week, so you know whatever. But, but right. today we are talking about one of the greatest films of the '80s. We are talking about uh, 1985's Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, and this is a little less unknown than most movies I talk about, but. You know, I had a rough couple of months and I'm depressed and I want to talk about The Last Dragon. So I win. And yeah. so does TL here, right? Yeah, I think we when we were talking about Jim Cotta, at some point, a conversation happened about The Last Dragon. And we were both like, this movie rules. And it's like, yeah, like, I love The Last Dragon. It's I, I so I used to always say, like, what's your favorite movie? And like to me, it was like, oh, Ghostbusters or, or <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, because I watched them a million times. Last yeah. the uh, the Back to the Future, right? But the more I think about it, and the more like just as an adult, The Last Dragon is the movie that, like, as a film writer, it's what I'm trying to do. Like, it, uh, and this is not like the world's greatest written film. It's but really, it's, just, like, it's really movie. well written. Yeah, yeah, it's really well written. It's it's very fun and very uh-huh. like just like it, it. I don't know how to explain it. It's just one of those movies that if you've never seen The Last Dragon, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast and have never seen The Last Dragon, I implore you. My goal is at the end of this, you are like, I don't care if I have to go rob a Sun Coast. I need to find <laughs> The Last Dragon. Well, I don't. I don't know if you could rob a Sun Coast. So there's, uh, there's the I saw a picture on Twitter of one. I don't know where that was, but yeah, you should see the Last Dragon. I we might get spoilery here, so on, if you haven't seen the Last Dragon, just go watch the Last Dragon right now. It's on Am- you can rent it on Amazon. It's on a few other places. It's a great movie, and the less you know about it, the better. Other than that, you know, it's a kung fu movie, but it's with, by Motown, and just. Let that percolate in your head. I I saw this movie not too soon after it was originally released. I saw this movie in 1985 or 86 on video with my brother at my dad's house. And we were just, it blew our minds. We, we immediately fell in love with it. And growing up, I've watched it again and again. And it's a movie that like, my relationship with it has changed. As a kid, I, I unironically loved it as a great movie. Then- right. In my teens and in college, I'm like, oh, this is a corny, fun movie. Let's make fun of it and watch it. The music's good. 
sometimes. And then revisiting it now, a few years ago, when I watched it again for the first time in probably a decade, I'm like, yo, no, this is a well-written, well-produced, well-made, good movie. Right. So I was alive and of at six years old when this movie came out. So kind of prime, prime, you know, target for the movie. What about you? Uh, I was, I would have been alive the next year. Uh, but I remember exactly when I saw this movie. So the first time I saw The Last Dragon, it would have been, I was eight. So it would have been 1994 and it was on HBO and it blew my mind. I like for like for reference, I'm a big Kung Fu movie guy, like grew up on Bruce Lee films and like, I love like this is like my music, right? Like this, mm-hmm. uh, the new, new, like the nouveau wave, like R&B, very like new age Motown before it became uh Motown Philly style or whatever. Like, the, so like this post, is post post Prince Motown. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's very, <laughs> the very, the very like, right. The very Prince, like electric R and B kind yeah. of right. Like it's a very different R and B. Um, so like this, just aesthetically, this is just me on film. Right. And I have loved this film since I was a kid. I remember asking, my uncle's girlfriend at the time, um, I, I asked her, I was like, uh, he, she was like, she was like, oh yeah, I remember this movie when I was a kid. And I was like, I was like, really? This movie's that old? Cause like to me, this movie could have been like made in 94, right? Like let alone being <laughs> yeah. a nine year old movie. And I have loved The Last Dragon since. I have probably, I probably watch it two or three times a year. <laughs> uh, I love this movie. There's very few movies I love more than this movie. Yeah, it's, it 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 it's a movie that holds up really well. Uh, if you haven't figured out what it is yet, it's if you, and you haven't seen it, you know, The Last Dragon is kind of a, it's a kung fu action movie set in New York about a what I guess you know a, a black kid. It, it's, it's Harlem, yes, so to Harlem, yeah, duh. Um, <laughs> uh, about a, a a black kid in New York who is obsessed with uh, who's a kung fu master, pretty much, and gets involved with both a, the a man who believes he is the Shogun of Harlem. and well, He is the Shogun, well, he, he is he the is Shogun, the of, Shogun Har- of Harlem. Show, yeah. enough, show enough. I apologize. <laughs> Somebody who wants to prove he's the best fighter in, Har- in, Har- in, in Harlem. Right. And with a mobster named, a mobster slash arcade baron, <laughs> sure, um, who wants to kidnap a local TV music show host to get his girlfriend wife's music video on the TV show. And that's his goal. And that's the main villain of the movie is that. And a guy who wants to prove he can fight really good. So yeah, it's not just that it's like Eddie Arcadian also has basically Rocky as his, like it's, there's like so many mismatches (laughs) to this movie, which is great because like, I, I think his name is Rock too. I, his I name think is Rock. Like, yes. Yeah. Rock. His his bodyguard yeah. is is Brock. And so you basically have like this Paulie Rocky relationship. There's also like a MacGuffin in his office for no reason other than to be a MacGuffin, but to make him go over the edge. This movie, it's it's literally five okay movies wrapped into one perfect film. <laughs> like yeah. 
if, if this was like a sketch, if this was like sketch, because I was going to say sketch comedy, but it's not a comedy. Yeah. But it it's is not funny a comedy. parts it's, to it. it, it yeah. Has fun, yeah. 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 It has funny parts to it. Like this would be like the perfect sketch comedy film just because yeah. like there's so much a wrapped around it. Yeah. And I, I, but I just love that it's a movie about such small stakes. Like yes. it's a movie about a guy who wants his girlfriend's a wife's video on a local TV show and a dude who wants to prove he can beat up the other tough guy in the neighborhood. Those are your stakes. That's the movie. And I, I like that. There's too many big like fuck you know, the fuck the Avengers. Give me a movie about a dude who wants to be the coolest guy in his neighborhood. <laughs> right. Well, and like the 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 purpose of like Bruce Leroy, like it's it's also a film about self-discovery. Yes, like yes. literally, it literally opens like the great thing about this movie is like it doesn't do a whole thing of like, oh, you have to go do this. Like his master set him on the quest because he was like, I can't teach you anymore, dude. I'm done. Yeah. And then he's like, I need to learn more. And he's like, Well, shit, here's this fake amulet. Go find the master. And it's like yeah. it's it, but it is a whole movie about self-discovery. It's just such a good movie. Oh, I love this movie. So yeah, much. it's a movie with it's it's a message for the kids, man. And and I think a lot of that has to do with kind of who made it. It has a strange production. Uh it's directed by a dude named Michael Schultz. Are you familiar with his work at all? Uh, a little bit. I'm a, I'm a little bit familiar with Michael Schultz's work. It's, he's an interesting director. He was one of the first African-American directors who was really in the major studio system. He mm-hmm. started in Broadway. He's a Tony nominee. He directed Al Pacino's first Broadway play and then moved into film. And he directed some great, 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 great 70s movies and some terrible, 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 <laughs> terrible yeah. movies. He directed Cooley High. Right, and that's that's the one I I'm I just I think of as Cooley High. Cooley High is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, Cooley High is a great film. I think of Car Wash. Have you ever seen Car Wash? Yes, I have. I love Car Wash. Uh, what about you? Car Wash is great. Uh, yeah, Car Wash. Car Wash is so good. They tried in the two thousands. They made two different movies. One an animated movie. The other one, like the movie with uh, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, to oh, redo Car Wash, and it's still not as good as Car Wash. Car Wash is tremendous. And Car Wash was written by Joel Schumacher. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's it's just one of those good movies. Like it's wow. Like this this little gay white dude wrote this fantastic film about you know race race a fantastic comedy about issues with race and sexuality and working class and and the in it's it's a watch car wash underrated film fantastic underrated soundtrack film. fantastic soundtrack and then he did grease lightning which is was a pretty big uh i think Richard Pryor movie which way is mm-hmm. up he also did the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club band movie with the Bee Gees and and Peter Frampton <laughs> don't watch that he did Scavenger Hunt, which I just watched like two weeks ago, which is another movie from my childhood, which is a not a great film, but it's one of those like it's a wannabe mad, 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 mad world type movie with a with a ensemble cast that has uh, Richard Mulligan, who I love, Cloris Leachman, Scatman Crothers, Ronnie mm. McDowell, Tony Randall. It has Willie Ames, Meatloaf, Vincent Price. So, you know. That's an okay film. He also made Disorderlies. <laughs> Ever seen Disorderlies? I've never seen Disorderlies, no. no you know what, do, you know what, do you know what Disorderlies is? I don't think so, no. That's the Fat Boys movie. 
Oh, I have seen it. I have seen that movie. <laughs> I love. Wow. This movie. Okay. Another movie I watched a lot as a kid. He made Crust Groove. Crust Groove is a pretty good movie. And he made Carbon Copy. That is a <laughs> Carbon Copy is Denzel Washington's one of his first big movies where he plays George Seagal's kid. George Seagal's a white man. Um, yeah. And it has some interesting th- it has some interesting ideas and some ideas that have aged poorly. Not a terrible film. But since then, he's kind of gone to TV and he's done every TV show. He did Picket Fences. God, Sisters, the Young Indiana Jones movies, Chicago Hope, The Practice, Ally McBeal, Jag, Touched by an Angel, Gilmore Girls, um, Brothers and Sisters, Drop Dead Diva, Chuck, Arrow. Like he's still he's uh, Black Lightning, so he's still working. Mm. But I feel like Michael Soltz is an interesting director, but he's also just kind of a work a workhorse. Like. He doesn't bring a lot of personality to his films, in my opinion. You know, they, they kind of rely on the scripts. What 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 I mean, I don't I don't know if you've seen any of the movies, but like what do what do you had I, I don't know how much you know about the guy, but like what do you think? Uh I think like I think he's the the thing I would take I take away from his movies, it's like for him when he directs a movie, like you said, it's not I don't think he stylistically like hey this is my kind of film yeah, i think he not, realizes not right i think i think he's real i think he realizes what the script is trying to do and can put that on film and yeah. i think that's something that a lot of directors can struggle with yeah and i think that's a strength like being able to see what your writer was trying to do and making that like because like you said like what i'm thinking about like car wash coolie high and the last dragon those are three differently, just stylistically different movies, right? Totally, um, totally. And being able to to tell those stories and do it differently, I think that's very, very interesting. I think I think Michael Schultz should be should be like celebrated more than what he is. And I do feel bad for him because Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was not his fault, but yeah. That was he became a scapegoat really after that movie bombed. He's like, well, we gave one big movie to a black director. Look what happened. And because that was one of the first big movies by a black director. And it was that was for mainstream, you know, white audiences. And it bombed so bad because it is terrible. But that's not his fault. He did not cast the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton in it. <laughs> right. So but yeah, I'm reading about his career is, is interesting. The the other person, this is it's kind of a weird movie because like Michael Soltz, good director, but not really a lot of personality in his work. And then there's the writer, Louis Venosta, who has hardly done anything. He did this. He wrote Bird on a Wire, <laughs> which is I mean, that's a, those are that's a that's a one two punch, you know? It's a good movie. It's a good, you know, yeah. I like Goldie Hawn, you know. Yeah. So, so you know, it's a very. You know what? And I'm looking at the other stuff, like, like Dancer and Fame, like, like yeah, he's a Dancer and Fame. Yeah, I look at all this stuff and I see this movie, and it's one of those things, right? This movie, it is very, it is a very like as a story, very clinical story, but it's also very modern for the time. Yeah, you're like, right. Like this is a very 85 movie. I think like having someone like Lewis write this movie who doesn't have like this huge writer's credit or whatever. Like it's very, it's very good to get a writer that can codify what year this is. Yeah. And this, this definitely is. is. 
1985 movie. You know, this movie is 1985 <laughs> as hell. And I think one of the reasons it is so 1985 is because who produced it? And it was produced. It is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. And who's Barry Gordy? Uh, he is the person who owns Motown. Or was yeah, he a, see, yeah. No, he is the founder of Motown Records. If you see yeah. Dream Girls, the dude that Jimmy Fox is supposed to be, yo, that's Barry Gordy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Motown was obviously a huge influence in culture in the 60s and 70s. And I, I, people, I think people don't realize just how big, like, the Supremes were the second biggest act in the world behind the Beatles. Yeah. Like, just, Yo, like they were, you know, huge, 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 huge cultural influence. Right. And so big in music, just such a force. They were like, well, hey, we should make movies, <laughs> you know? Mm. So they started Motown Productions first just to kind of hype their artists. If you look at their filmography, it's a lot of like concert movies and stuff about the Jackson 5. And then they made uh, a few hits in a row. Lady, Lady Sings the Blues with Diana Ross and Billy Dee Williams. Mm. Mahogany, Ross and Billy Dee Williams. The Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars, Billy Dee Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone there liked Billy Dee Williams. But then after those hits kind of goes away, they made Thank God It's Friday with Casablanca. Was it, was it the disco label? And I love Thank God It's Friday, but I'm going to be honest, that's a bad movie. <laughs> mm. It is the worst film. To, a lot of people think it's the worst film ever to win an Oscar because it won really? best song. For Last Dance. Well, Last Dance is a, it's a slap. Well, no but one's going to knock Dance Last Dance. And also yeah. has the, the uh, no, the soundtrack of that movie is amazing. And yeah. also the soundtrack literally never stops because <laughs> the entire movie is set in a disco. So every single scene has music. It also has Terry Nunn, the lead singer from Berlin, in one of her only acting roles. So mm. and she's like 18 in one day. Jeff Goldblum's in it. It's a fun movie, but people hate it. But mm. then they made uh, The Wiz. The Wiz, which is one of the greatest movies. I, I love The Wiz. I've it, never seen The Wiz. We oh, have to okay. do a show. We have to do an episode on The Wiz. Like, I hate to be like, <laughs> bring me back. But The Wiz, The Wiz, great. The Wiz is like, I mean, it's Wizard of Oz, but it is so, like, it's such a really good interpretation of it. Diana Ross plays Dorothy, rules in it. Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow. And this is like young black michael jackson just really just like it's so good like he sings the song called you can't win and it's just like yeah. it's so good it's just yeah, i've ugh. heard the songs and i like a lot of the songs but i've never seen the movie and i'm not alone uh <laughs> that movie was a tremendous failure yeah like just absolutely it was a over budget behind schedule overblown it cost $24 million to make it made $21 million. Like, yeah. Yeah. That movie is like black canon. Like that's like a movie. If you talk to like, if you talk to black people and like, Hey, you know, is like, Oh, the Wiz. like the Wiz is the movie. Like he's on down the road is like, that is the song. And that's yeah, it's a good song. Oh my God. It slaps. Like it's so good. It's funny that you said it's black canon. Cause my broken head, I thought canon films. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's part of the black lexicon. The Wiz is one I of the movies. It's, it's, I've been talking about Delta Force a lot lately, so that's I my, get it. My I brain get went it. to the other canon. <laughs> yeah, but like you people like it, I get it. It, it, it got a following now, but it was a big problem for Motown when it came out, and it <sighs> it, it really hurt them. And so yeah. after that, they took a few years off, and this was the next movie. 
was yeah. The Last Dragon. And it kind of came at an interesting time for Motown because we're talking about, we talked about Prince earlier, and music in the 80s was still, pop music was pretty segregated. Mm. You know, um, especially on, and Michael Jackson was one of the first, like, black artists to get accepted on MTV. Right. You know, and like, you'd have artists like, uh, what's a good example? Like Cameo, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cameo had a ton of radio hits. They're not a one-hit wonder, but right. they never broke through the mainstream because pop music was was separated like that. And then you had Michael Jackson and Prince, and that kind of changed a lot, but they, but Prince also just changed music. Yeah. And Michael Jackson left Motown. So when you combine those two things, I think Motown, Motown sound was gone, and they didn't know what to do anymore. Right. And they were kind of grasping at straws. And I, I feel like that kind of shows in the sound. I love the soundtrack of this movie, and we'll talk about that later. But mm. it doesn't have a Motown sound to me. Well, it's not. So the thing that happened that you see and what you're seeing here and what you're seeing in music at this time, like you said, like the, the great thing about Prince, the thing that's like tremendous about Prince is Prince is not only this tremendous talent, but this talent that is now pushing what what gospel, what soul, what R&B is, and using the stuff that he was learning and listening from, you know, rock and roll yeah. and stuff like that, and kind of missing, mixing it. And we have like, we have now like this style, this nouveau, this nouveau R&B, right? Where it's very, very disco influenced, very, very rock influenced, a lot of rock guitar, a lot of disco synth, like a new so wave. Exactly right. Very new wave, right? So you have this, you have this thing, and like you said, Motown was old R and B standards. It was like it was kind of like where gospel music came from. Is this is where you know the evolution into what Motown is? So like you, you're right now. It's in a very interesting place because we're about to get into like I think at this time we already have some of like that mix of the pop like so like you said like michael jackson prince really big into pop but we have new edition who yeah. are now becoming bigger right so we're we're about four years away from bobby brown we're about like i think this is the year or the or last or the year last year is when we get whitney houston so we're starting to see we're starting to see black music kind of like evolve into this thing where the MTV generation kind of like helped mix it into this brand new thing. And we're going to see that kind of explode out. And this is kind of the tail end of when, and it, like if, 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 if I'm coming out on my ass, you please tell me, but I feel like the mid eighties were the end of when popular R and B music could exist without having any hip hop influence. I would say once New Jack Swing came in. Yeah. 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 I I think what what we would categorize as R&B, like you said, I agree with you. Like after this, it has to have a hip hop hook to it. Or at least a beat. Yeah. Or a beat, right? Uh, Because like after this, like I said, we have Whitney Houston, which again, like it's R&B, but it's it's more into your pop range. And then Michael Jackson is there. But then like. The next big thing, the next big artist that would be like out, other than like some people we're gonna talk about on you know from this album, is Bobby Brown, right? And Bobby Brown yeah. is like Bobby Brown is not considered New Jack Swing, but in all intents and purposes, is New Jack Swing. He's and New Jack Swing adjacent, right? And then yes. then you get 
like I said, then you get the other people from New Edition who become New Jack Swing. So you are seeing like yeah. this is the last respite of traditional R&B without the hook of having a very heavy like 808 inspired, mm-hmm. you know, beat from hip hop. And this is kind of also the end of actual Motown because Barry Gordy would sell it in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then it became it, the, the label stuck around and they had uh, Boys to Men, right? I right. think so, yeah. Yeah, because you that, go right to Motown Philly, yeah. Yeah, but that's not really Motown. That's no, at it's that not. point it's it's MCA Records or whoever right. owned it. And then he sold Motown Productions the following year. Motown Productions went on to produce the Lonesome Dove TV movies. <laughs> really? With Brett yes. the Hitman Hart? No, no. The Western movies. Is he in Yeah, those? with Brett the Hitman Hart. I didn't in know Los- that. Yes, uh, if you ever so I, big wrestling fan, right? Uh, okay, he actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. they actually would shoot. They shot like uh, stills of like him like doing it. Like that was like he acted in Lonesome Dove. Uh, Brett Hitman Hart. Like that was his first acting gig before he did the Simpsons guest spot and oh, whatever. I did, I did not know that. So hey, yes, <laughs> I just know my dad loved that shit. So like. <laughs> I, I never watched Lonesome Dove. It was a, and the company that made that still exists, but they've changed their name. It's it, mm. you know it, it doesn't continue anymore. So yeah, this is kind of the near the last hurrah of Motown as any kind of entertainment force. It went out with a bang, in my opinion. Say, what a way to go out! Like there's a, there's like there's always everyone always talks about like how do you leave, and I think of like this is literally going out and just shooting like if you're playing basketball shooting 100 points in your last game and then walking off i mean like, what a way to get out we'll get into it later this movie was a hit it wasn't a huge hit but it made right. money it, it definitely did better than than the whiz right <laughs> so so it, it it did make it seem like you know motown could have gone back into it but maybe this maybe barry Gordy's wanted to get the hell out i can't you can't blame him i mean god main reason this movie is a hit and it's, it holds up is because of the cast because this movie is perfectly cast we got the lead who's our lead uh that would be ty mac yes ty, ty, mac. Mac. Oh. ty mac playing leroy green also known as bruce leroy mm. which that's funny <laughs> um like he's he, he's Leroy Green Jr. in this movie. Like the whole movie, he's a junior, yeah. and like you don't realize it because everyone calls him Bruce Leroy. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called Bruce Lee was a great nickname. It's um, such a good nickname. It's such a good nickname. <laughs> he, you know, Ty Max, an interesting guy. He was uh, not an actor. You can you can you can kind of tell when you watch the movie. Um, yes. He was a karate prodigy. He was doing karate as a kid. He holds a. He claims to hold. Black belts in Goju Ryu Karate, Jeet Kundo, Wing Chun, Hapkido, Jujutsu, Taekwondo, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, that he's claiming that he could be wrong. I'm not going to challenge him because he'll kill me. Yeah, he's I mean, oh. he's a legit martial artist. So yeah, yeah, he's There's a no legit way. martial artist. And martial artist first, like he 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 got this role. 
he had to audition twice. The first audition, I guess, he apparently tanked. Second one did better, but he had to, he had like several acting coaches on the set, including Barry Gordy, <laughs> just to, yeah. to help He's, him. And, and yeah, he is the worst actor in this movie, <laughs> right? Like, uh, and it's not even like it's not. Yeah. This is not yeah. me. I love this movie. I love yeah, yeah, yeah. Ty Mac, and I think like in like because he does other stuff after Last Dragon, he becomes yeah. a much better actor. I will say that he becomes a really good actor afterwards, but he is, you can definitely tell it's like the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, uh, bodybuilder movie where you're just like, Oh, oh yeah. Pumping this, iron. Yeah. yeah pumping iron is like, Oh, this guy sucks. And it's just like, you're watching it. You're like, Oh, you're, you're not good. You're not good at this. But he does yeah. get better. Yeah. You'll get better. Yes. But I think the clean, I think his naivete helps the character because mm. like Leroy Green's, you know, an idiot. Like he doesn't understand how the world works. Right. So having somebody who's kind of has an unnatural energy kind of fits the character, I think. Yeah. And I think it plays a good opposite who he's playing against because in a rare move, now this has to be the only movie I can think of where the male lead and the female lead are mononymous. We'll go by one name each. <laughs> Cause we have <laughs> Because unless Sh- I don't think Cher did a movie with anybody else, Cher never mm. made a movie with Sonny. So um, mm. there's Timac and Madonna never made a movie. No, th- anyway, so there's Timac, <laughs> and then there's Vanity playing Laura Charles, the the uh, the local the local video music host who gets kidnapped because the bad guy wants his wife's video on TV. Right. Uh, Vanity's great. I I've always loved Vanity. Um, she she's the best actor in this movie by like by by a by a long shot. Just like Vanity one, she's just awesome and she does like a really great job. And when Prince found her, geez Louise, he broke the mold, right? Like mm-hmm. he was like, good grief. Um, but it's just like and we'll talk about it, like just the little stuff she does in the movie. You're just like this well, is the scene, genius. Her first she sings one song in a movie. She sings Seventh Heaven. And yes. The choreography in that scene is fantastic, and it ha- kind of has like this, like this Frankenstein monster like thing that he does, like where she right. kind of moves her shoulders detached from her body, kind of like a like a horror breakdancing thing. And <laughs> it's just she has such good charisma, and she was a very good singer and a very good actress, in my opinion. You know, she was involved with Prince, and they formed Vanity Six. It had a nasty girl. I love that song, yeah. and. Then she left Prince, or Prince dumped her. That that don't does it. There's a that we'll never know. And she uh she signed off Motown and went into acting. And my favorite thing about Vanity is that she's the only person I know of who got dirtier after she left Prince. Yeah, because yeah. her big hit with Prince is "Nasty Girl," which has the lyric, "Oh, do you want to come with me?" You know, double right. entendre. Her big hit solo is "Pretty Mess." Have you ever heard "Pretty Mess"? I don't think I have. You know, the chorus of Pretty Mess is that you made such a pretty mess all over my dress. Oh. <laughs> no, I've oh. never heard of that. That's a lot. And the video really plays into that. If you thought ZZ Top's, rest in peace, Dusty Hill, if you thought ZZ Top's pearl necklace was a single entendre, yo, this one is like, it's about that. Right. Well, you know, it could have been, that could have always been within her. So like... Here's the, the the thing about Prince. I also, I'm a huge Prince fan, right? Oh, man. The thing about Prince is all these side projects literally were just his projects. He just had other people sing it. 
So yeah, like, I'm pretty right. sure, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Nasty Girl, not pretty sure, Prince wrote Nasty Girl. Prince wrote that song. And that's why it's like, there's a little play into it and not. Yeah. Pretty Mess was probably always in Vanity. Prince was just not letting her say it. <laughs> Pretty Mess was in Vanity and then it was on Vanity. Um, there, there it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, Vanity's in a, a few movies from the 80s. I have seen far too. I have seen a lot of films of Vanity. I don't know how this happened. Yeah. She's, b- before she was Vanity, she has a very small part in Terror Train, which is a, a Jamie Lee Curtis horror movie that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then the same year as The Last Dragon season, Never Too Young to Die. Seen that one? I've not seen that one. I think I've only seen one of these on here. You, so Never Too Young to Die is um, not to advertise my dad's company, but you can watch that on Hoopla. Uh, this is a streaming service you can get for the library card. Um, Never Too Young to Die is an action movie starring John Stamos. Hmm. Well, he plays the son of a fake James Bond guy who's killed. And then John Stamos teams up with his dad's old partner, Vanity, to stop a hermaphrodite terrorist from destroying L.A.'s water supply. And the terrorist is played by G- Kisses Gene Simmons. So, I mean, like, yes, that's a... it's problematic. So- but, yeah, I'm about to say it's like that's like sounds like sounds like I want to be like I want to give this a shot, but then I'm also like, no, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great. <laughs> it is underrated. Um, and also the also the, another movie, the best actor in that movie is Vanity. <laughs> okay, great, cool. It's her only act, real like full on action role, and she's very good in it. And I think she she really carries John Stamos <laughs> through a lot of the scenes with her together. Um, and then also of course Action Jackson. Oh uh, yeah, I now I did see that. Uh, yes, which is that's a tremendous movie. Uh, but I like yeah. I like what you call it. I like Carl Weathers. So like, of course, I like that movie. I I I like I like the Axon Jackson has one of my favorite boner jokes in any movie ever when she says to Craig T. Nelson, "How about a standing ovation?" And he says, "You have one," because he's talking about his dick. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Axon Jackson's fun. Another good soundtrack that has Pointer Sisters on it. I like the Pointer Sisters, but. Vanity's, you know, she was great, but she had problems um, with cocaine. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the 80s. Yeah, well, she 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 blew him out of the roof, no pun intended. Um, like, she did all the cocaine, and she nearly died from cocaine, and it, cocaine killed her later. Like, when she died in 2016, it was because of kidney problems from cocaine. Mm-hmm. And she quit acting in the 90s and went full into Jesus. Which, you know, I get it. Some, some, some people when they're addicted to drugs, they have to be addicted to something, and yeah. they get way into God. Or like the, when Trent Reznor cleaned up, he got way into weightlifting. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I also nails. yeah, I also think like, especially like being black and like, mm-hmm. hey, here's the here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about Prince. Prince also very Jesusy. Like oh yeah. <laughs> there's oh yeah. I, I do think there is a thing about, especially like with white people, and then like the sense of community you get from church. Like, yeah, it's not like whenever I hear people talk about like, like, hey, this religious stuff can go really like weird. Like, and this is not me saying like because obviously there are black churches that are just very weird too, right? But oh, I yeah. think there's there's <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot more of a community thing as opposed to like. 
Like the Jesus stuff is there, but it's also very, very community based, right? I think that's what she really needed. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. She needed a circle, and like because like she cleaned up and went back to acting and couldn't do it. Like right. I think she there was too much temptation in that lifestyle, so she had to get out of it. And I, I and it bums me out because I feel like she had a good career as an actress and she could have done more. And it's just a shame that she was such a flash in the pan with kind of an uneven filmography. Uh, also, kind of a flash in the pan is Julius Carey. He should have been Jonah. on everything. He should have been. He should have been. He should have been in every movie, every show ever. Yeah, Julius Carey plays Shonuff, the the villain who has no name. He's the Shogun of Harlem. He's Shonuff. That's yeah, it. he's Shonuff. That's does he need a name? No, nope, Shonuff. Shonuff. <laughs> um, Buster Rhymes' favorite villain. Uh, he um. He's he's only in like five movies. He's in this. He's in Disco Godfather, which I have not seen. He's mm. in The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, which I own. That is the Julius Irving um, vanity project mm. with Julius Irving, Stockard Channing, and Meadowlark Lemon from the Harlem Globetrotters. Owen oh, Flip Wilson. It's bad. Um, good soundtrack. Uh, then he has a really small role in Richard Pryor's Moving. And then a couple of the small roles and that's it. Like he didn't do a lot of movies and I don't get it. Yeah. You said he was in the new guy. I saw the new guy in theaters when I was in high school. I don't even know what I it is. I don't remember. It's a, um, uh, it was, it's a, um, it's a, uh, DJ. What the, the weird looking DJ white Qualls? Like, DJ Qualls. Yeah. It was like the oh, DJ that Qualls movie. project. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Where you okay. go to a new school and yeah. showed us in that movie. I don't remember that. I'm going He's to rewatch this movie. He has he's, a small role. Like he has a he's in moving, he has one scene. And uh, it's a bummer because like he's just he's a coach. He has it's not even a humor scene. He's just he's just the, a coach. And that's that's the entirety of a scene. I don't get it. He was on TV quite a bit. He was in uh had small roles and like guest spots on like Benson, Newhart, Hill Street Blues, the A Team, Moonlighting. He was on the new Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> he was on Two two seven, just like Ty Mac, he was in an episode of Different Different World, um, right? But see, Ty Mac on a Different World again. Oh, this is why I talk about Ty Mac as an actor. That episode's fucked up. Yeah. He plays like this. He plays this dude who's like hitting on Freddie, and like is like this really weird, like super, super, yeah, super aggressive rapist uh, football yeah, yeah. player. And it is so not. Timex from this movie, it yeah. messes me up every time I see it. I'm just like, who is yeah, this guy? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who Julius Carey played in a Different World, uh, but yeah, he was in there a few times. But he was also a reoccurring character on Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place. <laughs> and he was uh, Bruce Campbell's sidekick in Briscoe County Jr. Um, mm. Do you know that show? Probably not. No one. Did. I do not know. Yeah, at the yeah, time that, I would have just came. I would have just moved here from Europe, so I would never have seen it. That Briscoe County Junior premiered around the same time as X Files, and I think they were on back to back. And it was like Fox had. It, not to go off on a tangent, Fox had like four sci-fi themed shows at the same time. They had Briscoe County Junior, the show I love called Strange Luck, Sliders, and X Files, and everyone was like. You have to keep Briscoe County Jr. and X Files, and they got half of it right. They they kept Briscoe, they kept uh, X Files and, and Sliders for a little bit. I was gonna say, yeah, 
Sliders, I knew about. I knew about no. Sliders. I've never heard about Briscoe. Briscoe County Jr. is a sci-fi western um, comedy. And Ooh. it's a good show. And I he is really good in that show. And, you know, because Julius Carey is an intimidating man. He's like six foot seven, like two meters tall, and just a big motherfucker. <laughs> he and, rules in this movie. How is he not? In, oh, I'm just so upset he's only in small things. Like, Obviously, he's he's no longer with us. Yeah, uh, yeah sadly, Carey. he passed away. Yeah, yeah, because like this is an actor. Like this would be my Tarantino. Like what he did with like Michael Parks, and he just put Michael Parks in everything. I would just put Julius Carey in literally everything I do. And people would be like, "Why are you doing that?" It's like because this is show enough. How is that everything? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would put I would put a lot of people in this movie and everything. I would also put Eddie and Angela in everything. Um, Chris. Christopher Murney plays the other villain, Eddie Arcadian. I love that the guy who owns arcades, his last name's Arcadian. It's, oh man, what a so what a, what a stupid oh what a but stupid. he's such a perfect he's such a perfect bad guy because he's so short. Yeah, it's not he's like a, it. It's not like the like Danny DeVito where it's like so short it's comical. It's just like, but he has like the little dude complex. It's borderline. Yeah, it's, he's. Oh, it's so good. He, he he reminds me of the dude. I forgot the actor's name. He's the dude who was in Robocop who gets sludged, and he's with the doctor in ER who loses an arm from the helicopter. I forgot his name. Kind of that that stature of a person, small guy, and just the character is just a, a loud, obnoxious prick who yeah. yells and punch and, and intimidates and, and uses his muscle to get what he wants and. Christopher Murney is very good in this movie. He he is not in many other films, unfortunately. He's he's also very memorable in Maximum Overdrive, which I love, which is a terrible film. Mm. And he's in Barton Fink, which I haven't seen since like I was twelve. So I don't remember it, but and some TV work, and he's done some video games. He was in Red Dead Redemption Revolver, and Neverwinter Nights two, apparently. But I I feel like he should have been used more for these kind of. The, Oh, he's the 1980s underused Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Yeah. He's, that's exactly who he is. Yes. He should be in more. You're right. You're right. Christopher Verdi should be in more stuff, too. Everyone in this movie should be in more stuff. Yes. And, well, somebody <laughs> who shouldn't be because she's already quite successful is Faith Prince, who plays his wife or girlfriend. They don't really say. The wannabe Cindy Lauper, uh, Angela Vaccaro. And Faith Prince is she's great in this because... Faith Prince is a Tony Award-winning actress. Mm. And in this movie, she plays someone who cannot sing. Yes. She That's plays hard. Cindy Lauper. She's literally Cindy Lauper. But Cindy Lauper can sing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. It, okay. This don't, is, don't well, I mean, disperse. no. I am not no, 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 no. Okay, okay. The okay. person you need to to get this ire to is Barry Gordy, who ha- absolutely yep. had an issue with Cindy Lauper and Madonna because it is she plays. The Long Island girl who can't sing, can't dance, but does these outrageous outfits and has someone bankrolling her and forcing her on television while everyone loves them. That's a, it, which it's is, hilarious that Barry Gordy would have, have an issue with that because he did the exact same thing, but yes. with, you know, people you know, people of color. It's like it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. So I don't I, he should have found camaraderie there. But who knows? Um, but yeah, no, she's great. She won a Tony for a Guys and Dolls revival. She was in The King and I. She, she played Ursula in the Little Mermaid musical. Like, she's a fantastic singer. 
She's tremendous. She's <laughs> literally tremendous. And she's great in this movie too. She yeah. has my favorite, like we'll get there. She mm-hmm. has my favorite scene in the movie. She she's has, just like, it's it's a throwaway line of like. No, it is not a throwaway line. It's one of the best lines. It's so that, fucking Oh, good. that scene is so It's good. so fucking good. It it's is. So, I get oh. goosebumps watching it. So, and then really quick, there's some funny small roles in this. Mm. William H. Macy has one scene. Yes. He's just in the movie. Yeah. It's like William H. Macy is just, he's like, oh, hey, it's like, you're last, here. Last night I was watching Manhunter and and Chris Elliott has one scene in that. And we're like, what the fuck? Um, same thing. Chaz Palminteri has one scene and you don't, I didn't even recognize him, but I recognize his voice because it's Fat Tony. You know, mm. so like that's that. Um, the mom is played by Queen Esther Morrow, who was a big um, Duke Elliotton singer and does gospel and soul and did a lot of like, Broadway and gospel stuff. She's a big deal in that circle. And then one scene, Leroy Green's little sister is Rudy from the Cosby Show. So you are missing one. I'm missing one. Who am I missing? I'm sorry. Missing one. So here's this the small the small actor that I love, and one of the things that really got me into it. So the person who worked, who did a lot of the stunt choreography for this movie, is Ernie Ray Senior. The kid, the kid, uh, Ernie Ray's Junior. Yes, Ernie Ray's Junior. One of my favorite, like, if you're a kid of the 90s, you have seen an Ernie Reyes Jr. joint. I think this is his first film. I think this is Ernie Reyes Jr.'s first film. It's funny because a year after this, he was in a Motown Productions TV show. Yeah. Called Sidekicks, <laughs> which lasted one year. Um, but yeah, he played, he's Donatello's stunt double, right? Uh, he, I think he's Donatello's stunt double in the first movie. And yeah, then the in the one. second movie... He play. He actually has an on-screen role because he plays the, the kid. Yeah, he's Kano. Yeah, in the in the first movie. Yeah. And he's in Surf Ninjas and a few other things. And he's a stunt. He's a stuntman. So yeah. I'm sorry I missed him. I I, I apologize to Ernie Ways Jr. Ernie Ways Jr. Please don't kill me. Kids of the '90s know Ernie Ways Jr. was the guy. Like oh. Ernie Ways Jr. was the guy. I was a teen of the '90s. I was too busy being depressed, so I couldn't. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't, couldn't couldn't get that. like this is a silly kung fu movie that has some interesting things to say yes it, it's i think like i said i think there is a it is a very basic show it is a very basic like hey kung fu you you've 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 uh you've disrespected uh disrespected my honor i will fight you now right uh yes but it <laughs> is also a movie about self like self like self-actualization and like are you good enough like it's a movie it's a it's like the main character deals with self doubt to the point where he like hides himself in another culture in, yeah, a, in a way right. that's yeah. very weird, <laughs> and like and that's like kind of his personality. And the movie is like, like obviously the movie is like, hey, he's gonna save the girl, hey, he's gonna. Do, but the movie is like the the crux of the movie is him learning to be good about being himself, and that's like that is the story of the movie. It's like him learning like, no, I should just be me. I don't have to be Bruce Lee. I can yeah. just be me. You know? Yeah, because 
his 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 sensei tells him that if you become a kung fu master or whatever master, you will get this glow around you. And the the point, but he can't. He doesn't have the glow. He's like, well, you need a new master. But the the point is, he the master is within. Like right. he needs to accept himself for who he is, and to truly unleash his power, which isn't literal, actual supernatural power. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> with which which manifests itself in some great rotoscoping that I just love. Such but a such a good. I, I also feel like this movie does it plays with stereotypes in a fun way. Mm. You know, like the the African American family owns a pizza place. You know, and the Asian guys he talks to use are black stereotypes. Right. Well. I I think it's also a thing that I don't think a lot of people who are not people of color realize like this stuff happens. Right. So like the thing of like, I look, I, I am a, I am a black weeb, right? Like I grew up watching anime and finding like subtitles. And again, I watch a lot of uh, tokusatsu and I watch a lot of like, like all the stuff. Right. So like, I've know that stereotype because I've been around black people guys who are bruce leroy i also my best friend is phil is filipino and we've been around filipinos who you know do the you know what would be the equivalent of 2004 like what's up soul brothers so like yeah. it is a thing of like it is also thing of like with 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 people of color learning like our cultures like when you're an oppressed when you're an oppressed minority your cultures kind of are similar because you have a similarity to the people there right so like these asian people are probably being treated like shit in this city you know and black people obviously it's new york right mm-hmm. so like there there's there's a sense of camaraderie which makes it easier for you to glump on and understand someone's you know community it's the reason why kung fu films became very big in oh, yeah. black communities right yeah like, this this yeah, this movie's kind of an intersection of kung fu movies, like you said, and black exploit. Kind of a, t- kind of a, at this point, a black exploitation movie viable because it was dead by this point. Yeah, and something called Bruce exploitation, which right. is yes, this movie kind of plays with that a little bit. And that there were all these movies that came out after Bruce Lee died that were like Bruce Lee's back, but it's not Bruce Lee, or it's footage from a different movie. Like Warner Brothers did that; they put out Game of Death, which is this terrible movie that uses five minutes of like one Bruce Lee fight. And then it uses stock footage from other Bruce Lee films. And then young Biao with a Bruce Lee mask on. Right. It's It's atrocious. It's atrocious. And, but this movie kind of plays with that. It's like, you can inherit Bruce Lee's legacy. It's like, (laughs) and when I was a little kid at the video store, my dad's video store, we had all the Bruce Lee movies, you know, and they had the same art and it was like Bruce Lee, and then behind him was some dragon symbol. And the, the the amulet belt buckle thing that the master gives him when I was a kid reminded me of that thing, that symbol. And I was in, in my five-year-old, six-year-old head, it's like, oh, this this is like this is related to Bruce Lee, right? This 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 master knew Bruce Lee. He had to. Because it's the same sim- symbol, right? Right? I'm a dumb kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just I remember I was like I don't think like it was like it must have been like ten or fifteen years ago. I remember trying to explain to somebody like, "Oh yeah, I love this Bruce Lee movie," and I was saying it wrong. And they're like, "What are you talking about?" It's like, "Yeah, this Bruce Lee. You've never you've heard of like 
the blind eye of Bruce? And you're like, <laughs> no, that's not a real movie. Are yeah. you sure? I have yeah. it on VHS. Yeah, it was very, it was a very weird and wild time. There's, if you get, there's a fantastic, fantastic Criterion collection of Bruce Lee films now. And on that, there is a little mini documentary about Bruce Boitason. I highly recommend it. Also, if you Google Bruce, Bruce Boitason, there's people on YouTube who've talked about it. It's a weird phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, and one more like scene, one thing I like in this movie, like talking about like the preconceived notions of race, the fact that to get into the fortune cookie factory, which what's the name of the fortune cookie factory? Some dumb guy. Some dumb guy. <laughs> Yes. Um, to get into the fortune cookie factory, he has to bef- be- befriend the uh, Asian men working there, and they all talk in nineteen early nineteen eighties like black stereotypes, right? Like, right. And so you have Leroy, who is has to pretend to be, has to. How are you? For, what I don't want to. I don't want to say a bad thing. Yeah. He has to like. He has to put on a black set. Like he's trying to put on a black set. Like his whole thing is like I'm going to tr- prove that I'm with it, yeah. Holmes. Like that's kind of like the thing that he's doing, right? Because he's like, "What's up, my soul brother? I'm no coolie man." Yeah, and it's okay, like yeah. it, it seems like it literally seems like an alien red. How do you speak like a black kid in the 1980s? But like you said, it's. It's a, it's on itself. Like it's layered upon layered. He is someone who is not, who doesn't speak like that, but no one else speaks like that. His brother doesn't speak like that because they're yeah. speaking like the generation before them yeah, is speaking, yeah. you know? Yeah. They're speaking like, like Richard Pryor would speak in a, in a, in a seventies movie. Like, like he's in the Mac. Right. Like, yeah. Or, or truck Turner, which I want, I want to watch again. Um, But like, I, I just find that whole thing kind of kind of funny, and it's a good. He's Kung Fu Carlton. He's he's Kung Fu. Yeah, he's Kung Fu <laughs> Carlton. I don't know. Like, mm, it's just it's such a weird thing. It's more of like he's so sheltered and like not yeah. sheltered in a way of like oh I don't. But he's just like hey I don't do any like I work out I do this and that's all I do. And he is like he's more like his brother. Than like these random guys who think what hip is, yeah. Because like, and that's one of the things that's like I thought was very interesting is like they do show a lot of the parallels between him and his brother, and his brother's like, oh well, you're not cool or whatever, but like they are very similar, and yeah. like I think that's something that's like it's just a very interesting presence, especially like as the movie goes on, you see like him learning from his like his brother learning like no my brother's actually really cool and what he's doing is really really dope i mean if i saw i i do not get along with my brother but if i saw my brother catch a goddamn bullet with his teeth i think it'd be pretty cool too <laughs> well even before that like when he's even training that, yeah. the first training scene his master is like is like running around shooting arrows at him and he's just like blindfolded karate chopping him and, I'm, and i would have just been like nah i i'm good and there's editing tricks there, of course, but he really is catching and cutting those arrows with his hands. Like he, yes. that's real. Like the bullet's not obviously, but that's right. Oh, yeah, real.
there were there were kind of three really silly things and one kind of silly thing I want to talk about really quick. But there's the tank. So Eddie Arcadian, almost all dumb. of his scenes are in one room. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's, it's so dumb. So dumb. <laughs> and he gets mad at his. He gets mad at his, his his. Whenever he gets mad at somebody, he threatens to throw him in this tank. And I do like it when the when when the thugs come back from getting beat up by by Leroy Green. They're like, "It was five big black guys," and they look <laughs> at the black guys like, "Yeah." <laughs> uh, it's know. so. It's so okay. So the but tank, the tank. The tank. Yeah. What's in the tank? Tank is piranhas. Um, no, I don't know. No, 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 no. Okay, so when when we say tank, we don't mean like a tank that fires a gun. We mean like an aquarium. No, like an aquarium <laughs> tank. <laughs> Full of piranhas. Like, so the setup, this is all, all this is, is a setup to take Eddie Arcadian over the edge. This is a, it is a, it is a side joke, but it's so geniusly pulled up. Like, this is payoff. Like, throughout, like, you see Rock, he's throwing, he's throwing uh, meat into the tank, you're going through, and he's threatening it, and all this stuff happens. And then it just pays off for Bruce Lee Ray to go in, he beats everybody up. Him thinking, oh, this is just a tank of water in the room. And then saying, you need to cool off. Throws Eddie Arcadian's head in there. Now, you and I know what's in the tank because we've been watching the movie. But do we? Right. Like, no, like, we, we know something is in there because they yeah. put food in there and it got eaten. Right? So we know that that tank ain't safe. Bruce Lee Wright doesn't know that. And Bruce Lee Ray dumps his head in there, and the the act again. This is why I say acting is just so good. His <laughs> face, he's just like, "Oh, what the fuck? This motherfucker tried to kill. I am going to end his yeah. life." It's the reason why he goes crazy. Like, yeah, he, he goes, does, he goes he nuts in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't go crazy until Bruce Lee Ray almost murders him. And but like you say, it's piranhas. So like I, I watch in the time act, and people ask him what's in the tank, and he's like, "Yo, that's like the." briefcase and pulp fiction i ain't saying shit um because it's it's one thing and whatever it is and piranhas aren't that big and you kind of see it on the side and it almost has fur like you don't know what's in eddie arcadian apparently went to the journeyed under the earth <laughs> or some <laughs> sci-fi he had some sci-fi backstory came back with a monster uses it to intimidate people to get what he wants in his arcade yeah, until <laughs> it, until it went bad for him. It could be a mogwai. Whatever it was a mogwai, like a like a really rabid mogwai before it became like a gremlin. It's from the same wherever the mogwais are from. It's that's the same 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 neighborhood, same neighborhood. Yeah, and but you're right. Eddie does snap, and when he does snap, his wife finally has enough, and she leaves him. Oh, and in what I think is legitimately, without question. One of the best written scenes from a movie of the 80s. Without me, you're nothing. Without that outfit, you're just another no-talent dental hygiene school dropout from Kew Gardens getting by on a tits. And in the end, Daddy, you know what? You're nothing but a misguided midget asshole with dreams of ruining the world. Yeah. Also from Kew Gardens. And also getting by on my tits. Oh, oh it's God. So, what That's... a bird. Like, she could have easily been really shitty. Like, I think of, like, the the Ninja Turtles, not Ninja Turtles, but the Super Mario Brothers movie, right? Which is his own form of terrible. 
Uh, but I also <laughs> love it a lot. It's a really dumb movie, but it's really good. But like, no, but what I want to use the parallel is like how they like Mrs. Koopa in the in this in the in that movie is just like, oh, I'm just an unrepentant asshole. You could have done that. With her, but she's a legitimate good person. She just wants to do her music, and, and she doesn't even want to do the music asshole. that much. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, she's just a, she's just kind of an idiot. But see, I I in real life, I I like well-meaning idiots because yeah. they're nice. You know, I I had I had a friend at work who was who was kind of getting into like the dark side of YouTube. You know, like Joe Rogan, and then like oh know. gosh, no, but I. I He's not the smartest person, and I sat down and I'm like, "Look, like, look, when he says this, he's saying this, and when this other, when when Ben Shapiro says this, he means this." And the guy's like, "Damn, you're right." <laughs> <laughs> and that was it for that. So, like, that's what I kind of people like him is when I kind of I, I I usually give people I don't know the benefit of the doubt once if they if they say something really bad, it's like maybe they just maybe they're just stupid, <laughs> maybe they're not hateful, and so. But like I just that is such a great scene. Oh God. And just her walking out the door, man. And then he completely snaps and hires the hitman audition process. Like Yeah. In it, his arcade, he has all these hitmen come and I love that they bring resumes. <laughs> it's just like it's like the most professional hitman. Uh but what's really great is we haven't talked a lot about show enough, like we talked about show enough, oh, so but we enough. haven't talked about like how he is framed in this f- movie. You mean as Eddie Arcadian calls him Mr. Nuff? Mr. Nuff, yes. <laughs> which he deserves all the respect for show enough. Yeah. Yes. But the first his first entrance oh. is when they're in the movie theater and they're watching God. they're watching uh Enter the like, Dragon. Enter the Dragon, yeah. yeah. They're watching Enter the Dragon, they're doing all the stuff, and it's like it's a full on, like it's a full on like just wild scene everyone's dancing in the movie theater and he just comes in and just walks in with that speech am i the meanest am i the prettiest am i the baddest mofo no doubt like he's just doing this whole speech and he just comes in and it's just like everything just shuts down yeah. and like it's just so good and then even like when he's trying to provoke leroy and he's like because he's not even trying like he's just like he's like telling this kid to move and this kid's like Bruce is like, Bruce Leroy is better than you. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then like goes up to Bruce and Bruce is like, I'm not going to fight you. And then he goes into the Bruce's uh, dojo and does the exact same thing. And it's just like, how do you push this guy to fight him? And he finally gets a reason to fight him. And yeah. he's just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I need to fight Bruce Leroy. Yes. <sighs> and and that, that fight scene is great. And... You know, the movie, I feel like the movie, if the movie has any problems, like the, the stakes are so small. And once the girlfriend wife's out of the picture, they really have to ha- hype up the fact that Eddie's just batshit crazy. Yes. And it, it is kind of, and also the rock has a gun. He could just kill him. Yeah. Wow. And he's like, no, no guns. No reason. <laughs> just yeah, no guns. No reason. And so oh. the, the, the pretense for the final fight, which is a great fight. Um, it's a great. It's a great. Is, le- it's a great lead up to the fight. Like when yeah. there's a thing. Uh, there's a, like when Bruce Leroy enters Seven Heaven, and Eddie Arcadian comes on the TV screens, like fades in, almost like a Max Headroom, like type of like just like introduction. It's like very it like 
it has such a very cool video game vibe to it. Like like final boss of a video game. And then yeah, like totally. Bruce, oh my god, yeah. Yeah, and then like Bruce Lee Roy, like fighting as much as he can, he gets overwhelmed, and then his students come in, and it's just like this great thing. And then, like you said, the Bruce Leroy, the Bruce Leroy Shona fight is so good, and it does the thing. It makes Shona because like Shona is a goofy villain mm-hmm. until he's not, because he yeah. is beating the shit out of Bruce Leroy throughout this movie. But but when he starts to dunk Bruce Leroy's head under the water, that's when Bruce Leroy realizes that the glow is in inside him. Oh my and, god, that scene is that oh, scene's so rad. And that scene is so good because he realizes that because the song The Last Dragon is playing in his head, I, I, in my imagination. Like Bruce Leroy, this is his theme music. And that song is is oh, the last dragon theme song is so good. It's so good. That is, um, so the performer of that's a guy named Dwight David. I don't know who the hell he is. He could be somebody. I don't know. That's written by Norman Whitfeld. Norman Whitfeld wrote War. Yeah. He wrote Ball the Confusing. He wrote Smiling Faces Sometimes. He wrote Ain't Too Proud to Beg. He wrote I Can't Get Next to You. I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Uh, he wrote Car Wash. Norman Whitfeld's a genius. An absolute genius. And even people consider him a genius, and I still think he's underrated. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no, I was like, this song, it, it, I mean, one, it's the perfect montage because it's him going oh, through all yeah. the stuff as he's getting dunked in and his master telling him, and then Vanity, that line, you're like a master to me, which is like, that is like, that is yeah, pure essence. Yeah. Like, I was just like, I'm, like, literally, I'm just like, I'm in love. I'm in love with this woman. This one line where she's put like, Twirling her hair, looking at him, he like a master to me, and it's just like Jesus Christ, really. And it just come through, and it's just like you are, and it's just like it is just like the, the crescendo comes up at the perfect time, and it's just like who's the master? I am, and it's just yeah, like yeah, it makes you want to run through a wall. It's yeah. so good. Me, me and my brother used to do the thing Bruce Lee Boy with his arms, to, and we would like try to get the glow. You know, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and then he he beats up, he beats up, he like washes Shonuff, hangs him up, and then Eddie Arcadian, second best line in the movie. It's like, oh, I got something for that kung fu shit right here. Pulls out his gun, <laughs> shoots the gun. You see Bruce Lee right, whips his head, and then music stops. Music's oh, dead. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is he's he, dead. Is he gone? Is he gone? His brother, Leroy. You are the last yeah. dragon. And he just, oh, like, I literally. And he caught every, the bullet in his teeth. Every and, time. I, and again, when I was a kid, I thought that was real. I thought you could do that. <laughs> I saw this movie uh, last year for my birthday. It's actually coming up on a year for now. My roommate, my roommate, my best friend, rented out a movie theater. 
because oh, they so were good. they were doing that. Uh, so he was like, he asked me, he's like, what movie? I was like, was like, he asked me, like, hey, what's your favorite movie? It's like The Last Dragon. So he rented it out. He had never seen The Last Dragon before. And then I, I was, I, I looked at him as that scene happened because it is literally the greatest scene in cinema history. Yeah, it's the so crescendo good. of it, just like how the music crescendos and just how he looks at him is just like. And he has the bullet in his mouth. It is just like, oh my God. Because the thing is, everything that happens in this movie, every cool thing that happens in the movie is set up previously. The bullet in the mouth thing is only set up because Shonuff says in the movie theater, oh, you're supposed to be the one that catches bullets with his mouth. Like, yeah, like, it's, like, a, yeah, yeah. like it's like it's a bullshit thing. And then he literally does it. Oh my God. Yeah. The movie's so rad. What? <laughs> One more thing about the well, a few things about the music. Again, I just want to really like if you like uh, Motown and and music of that era, you should look into Norman Whitfield's own records. Norman Whitfield, he had his own label, and uh, the Undisputed Truth, who did Smiling Faces, they were on his label, and they released two psychedelic soul albums that are incredible. Mm. That have like this amazing cover of uh, Neil Young's Down by the River. <laughs> That's like. Fantastic. So, like, sorry to go off on a tangent about the music, but like, oh no, this Whitfield's a genius, and more people need to know his other music outside of Motown. A lot of other great music on here. There's the one Vanity song that's great. There is Willie Hutch. Willie Hutch was another composer. He wrote for Michael Jackson. He does the Glow, which is a great song. Great song. There's a Rockwell song called Peeping Tom, which is barely in the movie, which is good because it's terrible. Rockwell's Mm. terrible. Yeah, Um, Yeah. Yeah. But there's also, um, what's the biggest hit from this movie? You mean the rhythm of the night? One of the greatest songs of all time. By a little-known band that no one heard of at the time, uh, uh, Demarge, yes. Elder Barge's Rhythm of the Night. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. El, El, God, Elder. That, and if I'm out of place by criticizing this, you please tell me. But that fucking Jerry Curl is it's, just—it's it's a tremendous. It's it's wet. <laughs> it is. It is. It is so glow like like level of Jerry Curl. It's. Tremendous, Elder Barge, but like so, Elder Barge. I think who is Johnny is either coming up from the Johnny. Yeah, it's after after this. this. So yeah, so you get you Elder Barge comes in with Rhythm of the Night, and this becomes a hit. This is like not a one. This is becomes a full on hit. Um, Uh, Yeah, Rhythm of the Night was the number one adult contemporary song in the country, and it was a top top five hit. Yeah, it was huge, and it's and it's just. A song on this. It's a, it's a song on this on this album. Uh, I would, yeah, I would say the only bad thing about that song and this movie is that song uh, launched the career of Diane Warren because she wrote that song. Yeah, and you might not know her name, but you know her songs because she has some good songs. She had I get weak by Belinda Carlisle. I love that yeah. song. The good Starship song. Nothing's gonna stop us now. But she did. Oh God! What are her other hits? Of oh, I don't want to miss a thing. That's her big hit. Uh, uh, that's her. Unbreak my heart. That that song. That song rules. I'm it's sorry. It's a little. 
it, it's overplayed. It was overplayed. It was so, overplayed. Yeah. I, you're also a little older than I am. Yeah. That song rules. Like if that song comes on, I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. Uh, that's, that's a very good. Have you ever by Brandy? Good song. That's a good song. Um, yes, yes, yes. Because you love me, Celine Dion. Not a good song. When I see you smile by Bad English. Trust me, that's a bad song. Is that the When I see? You oh yeah, that song yeah. sucks. I hate. That oh, that song. song's yeah. ass. <laughs> A few more. I was talking, if, I, if I could turn back time by Cher, that's a great song. Okay, yes. I'll give her that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm biased, but too many Michael Bolton songs, and uh, but also, also, okay, see the Blame It on the Rain, and Blame It on the Rain is a good song. So. Blame It on the Rain, Blame It on the Rain, like it gets shit because of like what Millie Vanilli was. That's our rules. It's a it deserved its award that it won. Yeah, that's that's a good song. So <laughs> yeah, okay, song. fine. Diane Warren, you won me over. I mean. You 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 did write the worst Aerosmith song, even worse than Pink. I don't know. Pink's pretty bad. They're both pretty bad. But anyway, we're going off topic in a dying world. Yeah. We could probably stop. I, I would say uh, before we leave, upset sovereign for a Stevie Wonder What a just a good just I got an upset stomach and a broken heart. Like it's so That's a good it's yeah. so good. Good like, oh. yeah, good 80 CD wonder is few and far between. So Yeah. When it comes up, you know, it's it's not it's no um what's that one song? Uh Which? Time lover. Yeah, part time lover. That's a good oh, song. Yeah, yeah. That's his last good song, in my opinion. His last good hit single. And that's eighty five. I don't know. Skeletons is. I think Skeletons is eighty eight. I think. Skeletons. But it wasn't a hit. Oh, uh, is it like, not? Okay, okay. Yeah. Like yeah, maybe yeah. on radio, but it wasn't a huge hit. Like his last, okay. his last like MTV mainstream hit was Part Time Lover, and that song's that song's dope. Better okay. than Jungle Fever. Um. Ah, uh, most songs are better than Jungle Fever. I don't yeah. know. I've been a really not, not to go on a Stevie tangent. I'm a really big fan. I've been telling people like, hey, if you really love Stevie Wonder. And as is not your favorite Stevie Wonder song, you should change that because as is literally oh, one oh. of the greatest fucking songs it's I've ever heard. It's just like I was telling somebody, it's like oh, it's a good, it's it's a good song, it's a good song. And then at the end, he's just like, "I'm going to start screaming now," and it's going to make the song the greatest song of all time. My, my favorite, not to continue Stevie Wonder talk because fuck it, Stevie Wonder is great. My 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 favorite Stevie Wonder like kind of story is. He won album of the year two years in a row, um, and I forgot for which albums. And then, uh, yeah, he won. He won it for um, I think um, fulfilling. He won it for Inner Visions, fulfilling personality. One of the two of those, or whatever. Mm. And then he didn't ha- release an album a year. And then Paul Simon won album of the year. And when he got up to get the album, got the award, he said, "I want to thank Stevie Wonder for not releasing an album this year." So you know what? The he- following year. Stevie Wonder won best album. Um, you know why he didn't win album of the year that year? Why he didn't release any music? He went to San Francisco to go learn, like go at a music consortium, so he couldn't record. Yeah, so like it's it's the thing. We have to get off this because I could literally I could do a Stevie Wonder <laughs> podcast. I've been really into Stevie Wonder lately. Yeah, he's but a he good. Le- he 
he literally left music for a year. He's like, okay, I'm going to learn more about music. And they came out. And then, like he said, he does the 19, he does his 1970, I think it's 1972 uh, when he got that second one. And then it's like all that stuff he learned, he went and put songs in the key of life, which is a perfect album. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 and he sort of a tie. <laughs> but yes, he, he kind of like Elton John, like Elton John also like, awesome run in the mid 70s and other stuff since then good and bad but man like you peak you peak. peak so the peak is so <laughs> high but really I'll, i do really quick i want to mention that like this movie did very well and i oh. and i feel like people think of it as a camp classic or a cult movie or a bomb that got a following no it opened at number four in the box office the week it came out not great but it was up against friday the 13th part five which you know it's going to open big and in the third Porky's movie. <laughs> well, look, you got to get those Porky's. You got to get. You got to. Don't this say This is Porky's. a better movie. This is a better movie than fucking. I hate Porky's. I would say I every so movie on the top ten of that week is probably better than Porky's. I can tell you where I was that weekend because the same weekend, Baby: Secret of the Lost Legend opened, which is a movie about a brontosaurus in Africa. Mm. Um. It's bad, but my mom took me to see that when it came out. So I know what I was doing that weekend. Um, but but Last Dragon had staying power. It was in the top ten for six weeks. Hell yeah. Made made uh, you know, like I said, it made it made about thirty some million dollars. It was the twenty eighth highest grossing film of the year to let you know like where that falls in. It's a little it made less than a hundred thousand dollars less than Teen Wolf. That's and surprising to me. Yeah, and it made about as much. It made about it, it. made more money than Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, uh, because that came and went, and it outgrossed uh, Fright Night and Death Wish Three, which were also pretty big hits. You know, small budget hits. Right. Outgrossed by Teen Wolf, Commando, Thunderdome, and Saint Almost Fire. So it, no, it did good, and yeah, it got good reviews for the. It got mixed reviews. Some were really, really positive. Like the Washington Post loved it, but. Even most of the negative reviews are like, yeah, you know, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't. A lot of two, yeah, a lot of a lot of two star reviews. Yeah, I couldn't see going into the movie and just like out hating it. Yeah. Like I, I could see being like, oh, you know, I think this is kind of like this. The plot is silly, and I would tell you you're wrong. But like, I, I don't think, <laughs> but I don't think it's like this isn't awful, right? No, 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 no. And and I could see like if you're the type type of critic who really cares about acting and stuff, I could I could see that that you know, rubbing you the wrong way a little bit. But at the end of the day, like you have to realize who the movie's for. This movie was made for kids. Yeah, right, and right, exactly. Young adults and with a positive message and it nails it. And it holds up so well as a movie that I wish I could sell my nephews and nieces now, you know, if they were in Japan. I think it's worth I think it's worth revisiting if you haven't seen it in a long time. I think it is honestly and legitimately a legitimately great movie. And mm. I wish they would have made a sequel. Timac wants to make a sequel. He's been saying that since 1986. I, so. I, this is me on air <laughs> saying I want to write and direct the Last Dragon reboot or sequel. Well, Doesn't I, matter. I'll take either one. <laughs> Y'all are look. They're make. They've made so many Cobra Kai's. <laughs> They've made so many of the stuff with the with 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 uh the Karate Kid. There's only one good one of those. Do, do you think? And not to get too heavy, 
but do you think this movie's like because Teen Wolf considered kind of an eighties classic, right? Mm-hmm. Teen Wolf is. Do you think like Last Dragon is kind of neglected because it's mostly a black cast? Yes. You think so? I, 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 yeah. st- I strongly believe it. this movie. Here's my thing. Here's the thing. I mean, Teen Wolf does have Michael J. Fox, so there is that. Teen but... Wolf has Michael J. Fox. Okay. Here's my question. This is a legitimate question I would ask you. Mm-hmm. What about what about the Karate Kid is better than the Last Dragon? Well, they're both great movies. And right. I would say that they are very hard to compare. That's like trying to compare Commando to The Last Dragon. Well, well, I would say com- I would say Commando has more in common with The Last Dragon because they're both cartoons. Right. right. Um, but I feel like Karate Kid is a much Karate Kid is a Rocky movie. You know, Karate Kid is about a tournament and that kind of thing. And I, I, they're hard to compare. I think they're both four star movies. And just telling a different kind of a story, right? I, I I just there's a lot of love and reverence for the Karate Kid that should be for the also for the Last Dragon. Like <laughs> again, really cool. It's a really cool scene when Daniel Crane kicks mm-hmm. the shit out of Joey. Right, that's a badass scene. Yeah, is it better than Bruce Leroy getting his head dunked, coming up? Now who's the master? I am catching his fist. Like it's so I feel cool. I feel here's the here's the difference. Here's the difference. If a kid watches the karate kid and gets inspired to learn martial arts, that's a good thing. If a kid watches The Last Dragon and thinks his brother could suit him in a face and will cast the ball, that's a bad thing. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, you know, don't catch a bullet with your mouth, I know, kids. I know, I know. Hey, imitate, imitatable acts, imitatable it acts. Is imitatable you're right, you're right. I, I, I do feel like, yeah, maybe, you know, Teen Wolf has Michael J. Fox, obviously, and he's beloved, so that's going to have a, a certain staying power. But I do feel like because this movie is predominantly black cast, right? black writers, black directors, black producers, then maybe it's not treated with the same respect as all those other films, you know? Yeah. And that's that's again messed up because it's dope. I there's very little to hate about this movie, and this is the thing I'm saying. Like, there's so many. We talked about Porky's. Porky sucks, and for some reason, it has like <sighs> some kind of weird cachet with oh, people. It well, is I, awful. I feel I feel Porky's Porky's was out of style even before Me Too, and I think Me Too killed it. I, mm. I would say a better comparison was Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, Revenge that, of the Nerds, a movie that also sucks and it has sexual oh. predators in it. Well, Revenge of the Nerd <laughs> is a terrible film that has terrible things, and I and I do I do feel like a lot of my friends who like Revenge of the Nerds haven't seen it since they were twelve, and when they watch it again, they're like, "Oh, oh no, oh, I was wrong." <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds has a really cool scene, which is the talent show and the rap and the rock violin, because that's badass. Yeah, but it's also a show full of assholes. There's also a movie full of assholes who, again, rape somebody. And, Not and even a install, joke. Install cameras to spy on women as they get naked. Yeah, it's a yeah. Let's end on a positive note. Last Dragon yes. is great. You should see it. So Last Dragon fucking rules. I love Last, Last Dragon, Dragon. Last Dragon rules. Timac. I'm I met Timac. I met Timac at a comic book convention once. I in the same day, I met Timac, Stan Lee, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. That is so cool. Fun got- fact, Ty Mac also used to do pro wrestling, and he would come out to The Last Dragon. 
Which, of course, he has to come out to The Last Dragon. What else would you come out for? Your time back. I wish I could have come out in a gay way to The Last Dragon. Like, that'd be... <laughs> <laughs> It's like, hey, I can family, make that joke. I have a, okay. It's like, yeah. family, I have a very important thing to tell you, but first. I am <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's wrap up. TL, that was a lot of fun. Thank you. So, yes. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Turbo Bison. You can follow me on Twitch at Turbo Bison. You can listen to the podcast I do with one Sonia Ballantyne. It's called Live from the Pool House, which we will more than love, likely have you on so we can talk about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We are in the I middle would love of to. Two. Thank you. Yeah, we're in the middle of season two. Uh, other than that, that's really been about it. Uh, I did a video game show called PNB. It's podcast and bullshit. We don't really talk about video games, but there it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, please check him out. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable. Well, I'm a buzzkill and I apologize. And also on my website, LostTurntable.com. Uh, that is another episode of Simple Olivia. We have the glow. We are going to go. I'll see you next time. Bye.